My message this morning is entitled, Perceiving God Incorrectly. Perceiving God Incorrectly. I started a series uh, weeks ago on uh, what gospel do you believe? And halfway through that series, uh, I started to talk on the God you perceive. And in a way, that has become like a sub-series under the series, What Gospel Do You Believe? You see, your gospel's only as good as the God that you believe in. And uh, the gospel means good news. Well, if you don't believe in a God who has good news or can bring good news, that's going to limit uh, your gospel. And so we've really started a sub-series the God you perceive, and today's message is perceiving God incorrectly. Now, some of the parables and some of the stories that take place in the Gospels are reiterated in one other or two other Gospels, sometimes all four Gospels. There's a parable that I'm going to preach off of this morning that is mentioned in Matthew 25, and it's mentioned again in Luke 19. And both of these records of this particular parable tell the story of a master who's about to leave and he leaves his, uh, his servants, his workers, with some money to advance his interests. And uh, in Matthew, uh, the parable talks about one servant was given five talents Another servant was given two talents, and the last servant was given one talent. And uh, <clears throat> when he returned, the servant with five talents produced ten. The one with uh, two had doubled his talents, and the one with one talent dug a hole in the ground and buried it. And he made some very noteworthy statements that we're going to look at in a moment. In the reiterating of this parable in Luke chapter 19, there are three servants that are given minas, which is a Hebrew coin. And each one was given a mina, and one produced ten when his master returned. The other produced five, and one again had dug a hole in the ground and buried it. I would assume... And I've often said parables are parallels of a truth in heaven that God wants to put into practical operation on earth. I'm going to say that again. Parables are made-up stories, but they are parallels of a truth in heaven. They are parallels of a principle that heaven works by. And a principle that God wants to take from the realm of the heavens and release it to us so that we learn how to flow on earth in harmony with the principles of God in heaven. If you find that hard to believe, if your religious background makes that a dubious or doubtful thing to believe, then let me point you to the mere fact that Jesus really pushed this home when he taught us the Lord's Prayer. We take a lot of things for granted. We miss very important statements. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. While there's a huge disconnect between the world we live in and heaven, God wants us to live in his kingdom, an invisible kingdom, here on earth right now. How many of you are citizens of the kingdom of God right now? The king of that kingdom is Jesus Christ. He has jurisdiction over my life. He has jurisdiction over your life. But the rest of the world, unless you ask Christ into your life, unless you're born again supernaturally and come into the kingdom of God, the Bible makes it very clear that there is a negative force at work on the earth in every nation, every culture, every people group, and Satan and his demons are ruling and have jurisdiction over people's lives. 
How many people here have ever felt like you were cursed in an area of your life? Raise your hand. Let me see your hand. And Jesus Christ has come to break the curse off of our lives. And so uh, we are citizens of the kingdom of God even now. And Jesus has jurisdiction over our lives. And because he has jurisdiction over our lives, what the devil wants to bring on us is illegal trade. And when he steps into our territory, you have to understand he is trespassing. He's trying to bring illegal trade into your environment, and when he does so, he is trespassing. You need to be convinced of the gospel Jesus preached. He didn't preach how to get born again. He preached the kingdom of God has come. And that gospel means we live in the realm and the sphere of his governmental authority. And we've been set free from the government and the jurisdiction of the demons of this world. Somebody give me an amen. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, the church has reduced it to the most basic common element that everyone can agree on, and that is we're sinners and we need a Savior, and you got to ask Jesus in your heart. And while that basic element is true, and it is absolutely true, and it is fundamental, and it is the most important truth, Jesus didn't come preaching the gospel of salvation. He came preaching the story, the good news, the information that the kingdom of God has come to earth. Amen. And in that kingdom, God is king. And where God is king, his good supernatural deeds are constantly manifesting. Amen. Yeah. So we believe, we believe in the goodness of God and the manifestation of that goodness. So we're going to look at this parable real quickly because it shows us three different mindsets. Three different mindsets. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the story, a, a, a rich ruler goes away, but he leaves investments with some of his workers. And uh, in Matthew, he leaves five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent. And in verse 24, it says, we're going to put it on the screen, the man who had received one bag of gold one, uh, 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 said, Master, so the first servant had received five bags of gold. He produced ten or five talents. Talents, again, is a Hebrew term for currency. Uh, in this translation, they make it simple English for you and me, and so they call it a bag of gold. So the first servant had five bags of gold. He produced ten. The second two, he doubled his. The guy who had one bag of gold dug a hole, and he buried it. And this is what he says. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, that's a huge telltale statement. I want you to see this because this man recognized that his master would reap a harvest where he didn't sow seed. You see, there's the law of sowing and reaping. You plant tomato seeds in your backyard, that's where you're going to grow tomatoes. But if you don't sow seeds for tomatoes in your front yard, you're not going to grow tomatoes. In fact, if you don't sow seed, you won't reap. There is a principle. It's a harvest principle. You cannot reap if you don't sow. The Bible says man should not be fooled. Whatever you sow in life, that's what you will reap. Can I get an agreement here? Turn to somebody and nod your head like this. Make sure they're awake. All right. And so 
irrespective of the natural law of sowing and reaping, this man recognizes that his master has access to the supernatural. He's looking into the face of God, but he's looking into the face of God with a wrong perception of God. He knows that this is a man and this parallel parable is a parallel of the fact that Jesus has gone to heaven and he's vested in each and every one of us and he's coming back looking for a return from our lives. How many of you want to be productive in life? How many of you want to be productive for Jesus Christ? Absolutely. And so this man says, I know you go beyond the natural law of sowing and reaping. Most people will reap where they sow, but you, sir, you go beyond the natural order of things and you touch the supernatural. You reap even where you didn't sow. Very interesting. Very interesting. The word knew. The man says, I knew you were a hard taskmaster. And in the Greek, this word knew is the word I do. And it means to be aware, to behold, to consider, to perceive. Listen, when I was putting this message together all week, now I know I referenced this parable earlier in this particular series, The God You Perceive. And I really felt like God kept bringing me back to this, and he told me to look up the word hard, which we're going to get to in just a moment. Uh, because there, there's a truth there that I didn't even see on the surface. How many of you know that God's word's like a good cake? It's got one awesome layer on top of another on top of another. And the deeper you dig into it, every layer explodes with flavor. And so there are many layers to God's word. Larry's laughing because it always comes back to food. <laughs> All right. Uh, <clears throat> and so I looked at this word hard, which we'll get to in a moment. But as I was finishing up my message this morning, the Spirit of God said to me, look up the word new. This man who had a wrong perception of God said, I knew you were a hard taskmaster. And as soon as I looked it up, I was thrilled to see that the Holy Spirit was just confirming each point in my message. Because the word knew, I do, means to be aware, to behold, to consider, to perceive. You see, he was a man who was meant to represent this rich ruler, but his perception of his master was different than the first servant and different than the second servant. The first man produced 10 times. The, uh, uh, he, he, the second had produced five, and the last just hid it in the ground. You see, the others perceived their master as a uh, someone who would appreciate their efforts and who would back them, who trusts them, who believes in them. But the only one who failed to produce was the one who had a perception, and you're going to see in a moment that his perception angered his master because it wasn't a true telltale sign of who the master was. I'm going to say this to you. Religion has often put the wrong face on God. We sing about Yahweh. We sing about Jehovah. We sing about Elohim. We sing about the greatness of the great I am that I am. But religion will often put the wrong face on God and we religiously end up swallowing doctrines of demons who from the Garden of Eden were out to besmirch God's image in Adam's mind and Eve's heart. Because if you can break the connection between man's confidence and God's image, you could get man to turn in an opposite direction than his creator. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. 
And so the word knew. He said, my perception of you is that you're a hard taskmaster. Now, according to helps word studies and additional uh, word commentary that I use, it says, and they're probably putting it on the screen, properly to see with physical eyes as it naturally bridges to the metaphorical sense of perceiving, mentally seeing, your mental concept. This is akin to the expressions of, I see what you mean. I see what you're saying. It's seeing that becomes knowing. Now look at me. Here's the issue of perception. While it's your perception, if you don't correct it with the truth of God's word, it'll become your conviction. And your perception that doesn't line up with the word of God will become your deception. Did you hear me, church? Your perception that doesn't line up with the word of God will become your, your deception. It will be the trap that will swallow you up and cause you to be robbed and stolen from. And unfortunately, religion will always take from you. It will always rob you. It will always bind you. It will always cause you to be stagnant, whereas having a vision of who God really is will cause you to be a productive and a, an effective reproducing son of God. Come on. Give the Lord a hand. He said, my perception of you is that you are a hard man, harvesting where you didn't even sow. You're a hard man. The, the Greek word used by Matthew in this text is the word skeros. If we can go to the next screen, skleros, meaning hard Rough, violent, harsh, and stern. Religion will often present God in a very legalistic face. Religion will preach rules to you. Where relationship with God will preach heart to you. Rules don't bend. Rules don't come with character and personality. Rule doesn't come with the spirit of understanding. The Bible says the prophet Isaiah prophesied and he was speaking about the Messiah, the Yeshua, the Christ who was to come. And he says he is anointed with the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Rules don't have a compassionate face. Rules always have a hard outer core, a firm delineation. And sometimes Christianity is preached in the form of rules rather than the spirit of God's heart. And so this third servant, while he was called to be a representative, didn't even understand who he was representing. And unfortunately, sometimes we get caught up in the church and we don't understand the God that we are representing. Two were productive. Two were reaping a harvest. Two were enjoying the blessing and the favor of their master. And the one who had five and produced ten, the master said, I'm going to give you even more. You've been faithful and little. You've proven yourself. Everything came back to their perception of their master. The one who had five produced uh, ten. The one who had two produced four. And the one who had one hid it out of fear, out of inferiority. Religion will always speak about the fear of God. Relationship will always speak about the love of God. Turn to somebody and say, man, this is good. I need to hear this. I need to hear this. Because God has been painted with the face of religion. And it's the wrong face. It's a face of deception. 
In Luke chapter 19, verse 21, the key verse that I'm focusing on is the last servant and his response. And in Luke 20, uh, 19, 21, it says, I was afraid of you. You see, religion will make God someone that we're afraid of. But when the truth of God is being preached, I'm going to be honest with you. When I mess up, I would rather go and face God and tell God than tell a fellow human being who messes up just like me because I find more understanding, more compassion, more grace from the God that I have a relationship than I find from other fellow Christians. Because we often get tainted with the wrong face of God. And we mirror what we're tainted with. You see, the God you behold is the image you will reflect. I'm going to say it again. The God you behold is the image you will reflect. Paul said in Corinthians, he said, Moses came off the mountain and he was in the presence of God and he was reflecting God's glory and they had to put veils and cloths over his face because he literally shone carrying the presence of God and people could not bear to look at him. He says that was the old covenant and that came with legalism and it brought death. How much more today in the new covenant we carry the glory of God and Paul made makes an important statement, as we behold his image, the spirit of his image will transform us into his likeness. And so we get a lot of sourpussed Christians because they have an image of a sourpussed God. We get a lot of condemning Christians because their image is of a God who is condemning. We have a lot of Christians that are quicker to tell you what you're doing right than to pat you on the back and tell you, I believe in you and you're doing a good job. You see, we've got to understand this parable is relevant to us. It is relevant to us on many levels. It is not only speaking to the fact that I need to live my life in a productive way for the kingdom of God, and that is an absolute important premise that we shouldn't overlook, but it's also talking to us about our perception of God. One man who was a non-producer, had a wrong perception. I knew that you were hard. My perception of you was that you're stiff, you're harsh, you're violent. In Luke, he says, <clears throat> I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. That is not possible in the natural world. Did you hear me? If you refuse to put gas in the tank of your car, you are not going to enjoy the benefit of driving it. If you don't sow gas in, you will not reap mileage out. We live in a world that is governed by the law of harvest. What you sow is what you reap. And if you're not willing to sow, you will not reap. But even in this parable, there's a recognition that this master is supernatural. You see, a religious spirit will recognize God can do anything, but he'll never do it for you. Well, can I put a microphone to your mouth? Because that mmm should have been right across the board. Do it. Come on, Tony, put the volume up. Come on, yeah, give me the yeah. Are you hearing me, church? When we paint a religious face on God, we're putting a mask because God isn't the way religion says. And God has often been misrepresented and we need to see God as he really is. How am I doing, Rick? Good? All right. Give him a microphone also. <laughs> All right. I was afraid of you. You're a hard man. You take out what you didn't put in. You reap what you didn't sow. I recognize you're supernatural. I recognize you have abilities that go beyond natural laws. But you won't do it for me. 
And I was afraid. And I was afraid because you won't do it for me, and then you're going to expect supernatural results from me. God help us to get the right image of God in our hearts. Yeah. Verse 22, his master replied, now listen, he's seeing, he's perceiving his master as being harsh. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. In other words, I will be to you the sentence you put on my character. Whoa! I will be to you the God you have perceived me to be. And he says, you wicked servant, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in, reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have at least collected it with interest? Here's the interesting thing. That even though Luke, a whole different disciple, Luke is a doctor. He's writing this gospel, this account of Jesus. He uses exactly the same word, new, in the Greek, I do. To be aware, to behold, to consider, to perceive. You perceived me as such. Here in the, in the gospel of Luke, Though in the English it's translated the word hard, I knew, I perceived you were a hard man. In the Greek, it's actually a different word. It's like this. In English, I love ice cream, and I love my children. Hopefully, there's a huge difference between the stages of affection that I have for ice cream and my children. In the Greek, there are many different words that explain different types of love, of love and different levels of affection. But in English, we often will translate those different Greek words into one common denominator, the lowest. We do that with the gospel too. Here in the gospel of Luke, when Luke tells the story, the Greek word is Ostados, or austere. I knew that you were ostados, and the meaning is harsh, severe, strict, exacting, and rigid. You see, many people are still interpreting God through the Old Testament. Many people are interpreting God through the law of Moses, and they don't understand. Many people think that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No. God gave the law to show man if you want to earn salvation by yourself and earn my goodness, let me show you how impossible it is. This is what you have to do. Paul says himself, it is impossible for us to fulfill the law. The more we want to fulfill the law, the more we find we cannot fulfill the law. And so our only means of having salvation is to accept that Jesus was good enough, and when we believe on him, he blesses us, he anoints us, he washes away our sin, he breaks the power of sin, and we wear his righteousness. Amen. So, so interesting that the Holy Spirit inspires Luke, who was not one of the 12 disciples. Luke became a follower of Jesus later. He was a medical doctor. And it's so interesting that he repeats this parable but uses a different word, osteros, with the same meaning as the first word. I knew that you were harsh, severe, strict, exacting, and rigid. I want to tell you that doesn't represent my father, one iota. That's not my dad. That's not your dad. And I'm preaching here today to help you see God as he really is. I've said recently a number of times that Jesus, at the end of his ministry, John writes down a long prayer that Jesus prayed. And in that prayer, Jesus is talking to his father and he says, Father, I have revealed 
you to them. He didn't reveal God to them just with words of sermons. He revealed God to them when the religious leaders of the community found a woman in adultery and brought her, and here she is, thrown in the dust, and they're all ready to stone this lady. Not one giving thought to how did she get to this place in life. Who messed her up that she so messed up? Hello? Anybody hearing me here? You see, legalism, religion, is never flexible. Legalism, religion, is never understanding. It is never kind. It only knows rules, regulations, do's and don'ts. It has parameters that cannot bend. God's heart is not a legalistic heart. Would you say that louder? Thank you, Jesus. If anyone has ever been the beneficiary of God's good grace, can I get a thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Listen, if I had to be dealt with according to my life, goods and bads, I'd be toast. I wouldn't be allowed to be standing here. I'd be getting zapped with lightning bolts every other second. David from the Old Testament says, God, you don't treat us as our sins deserve. Religion is demonic reiteration of what God is supposed to look like. And so religion will always give you the wrong impression of God. But Jesus will always give you the right impression of God. And so he revealed his father not just through the words of his sermons. He revealed his father by speaking to this woman that the religious culture was about to condemn and to stone. And he bends down. And God is so discreet. He doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote in the ground. But he must have had a peeky-boo word of knowledge into each man's private sinful life because the Bible says one by one they dropped their stones and walked away. You know what the master of conviction did? He wrote down their sins without putting their names to it. And each man saw, I'm just as guilty. And they walked away. You see, he was breaking the rigidity of legalism and he was speaking from his heart. Without bringing condemnation to these men, he brought conviction that most of us are like the rest of us. Come on, hit somebody in their ribs and say, wow, he is really getting me today. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I have found that religion hurts people more, puts people in a bondage. <laughs> if I had one last sermon to preach, I would preach about the goodness of God and how great he's been to me and how I've not deserved it, and yet he shows mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Amen. Come on, God. Amen. This man saw his master who is supernatural. He, he can do miraculous things, but he saw him as harsh, severe, strict, exacting, and rigid. Over the last few weeks, as I've preached this series on the God you perceive, I made statements like what's about to go on the screen. And the first one is, God is good. He is absolutely morally pure. He is incapable of prejudice. He's incapable of injustice. Everyone look at me for a moment. This is the first thing we must understand if we're going to discern the correct face of who God is. Because religion is unjust. Religion makes rules and regulations and tries to make everyone fit into the same suit. Just look around. <laughs> Ladies, you ain't all a size two. And that's okay. God translates his word and he sees the needs in our life. And he doesn't try to fit us into a stereotype box 
that doesn't have any flexibility. Come on. God is good. He's absolutely morally pure, incapable of prejudice or injustice. Religious rules, the religious face of God makes him very righteous on the one hand, but when you go to compute all of the rules and all of the regulations, it'll favor this person, but it doesn't favor this person. And there's injustice in the interpretation of it all. The bottom line is this, we're all sinners, we all screw up, and God is gracious, and when we repent, he will forgive us all. Amen. Amen. There's no injustice. In a family of three brothers, I have my oldest brother here, I'm sorry, I was going to say this at the beginning of the service, this is my brother Dave, stand up for a moment. This is my oldest brother. At the moment, he's living in New York with his wife, his youngest daughter and son-in-law and some grandkids. He has served as a pastor on staff of a very fine church there in Australia. He and his wife are visiting their two other daughters and son-in-laws and grandkids in New York. My second oldest brother was on the way to Sebring, Florida, and uh, they were driving a truck down, and he asked Dave if he'd like to hitch a ride and maybe... I could come out and pick him up and spend a couple of days. So we are enjoying a visit with my oldest brother. He's the old man. I'm the young man. Now, of course, he repeats that completely from a different perspective. And we all know he's wrong. <laughs> uh, but it is an honor to have my brother here and... Uh, he will be here for a few more weeks in America, but he leaves today. And uh, I'm just so thrilled. Would you welcome him again? Amen. But in a family of three brothers, there were a lot of opportunities where we would fight and wrestle and get into trouble. And I remember one time my father was upset with us and he was just disciplining the three of us and my mother comes along and she goes, Alfonso, Alfonso, that's not how you do it. You got to talk to them. You got to reason with them. You got to get to the bottom of it. So she turns to David and he says, whose fault was it? And David points to Joe and says, it was Joe. My mother turns to Joe and says, whose fault was it? My brother Joe turns to me and says, it was Rob. My mother comes to me and says, whose fault was it? I said, it was David and Joe. And then she just slapped the three of us. <laughs> no injustice. My point is that so often we grow up in life and mom loves my sister more than me. Mom loves my little brother more than me. We're riddled with lies. Sometimes parents are broken enough occasionally that they do manifest those things. But oftentimes our perceptions are lies to destroy our reality. Demons will always speak lies to destroy your reality. They want to pollute your reality. We're so big about greenies and we're so big about the environment. But what we don't understand is there's more pollution between our ears than there is in the whole cosmos. And demons are, then you're like this. Demons are bull speaking. And you can read between the lines. To us all the time to get us into a perception that will cause our reality to be tainted with a non-reality so that they can bring depression. You see, deception will always bring you to a depression. Are you hearing me, church? And that's why it's so important that we understand what truth is. Jesus Christ is the truth. And I need to keep taking my perception of God and measuring it up to what the Word of God says about Him. Come on, somebody get happy and say, I need to hear this. God is not a God of prejudice. He's not a God of injustice. I have so many different colors of skin here. I love it. There is not one color of skin. There is not one nationality that God has a preference for. God loves every one of us. 
We sin alike, we bleed alike, we cry alike, we hurt alike, we're going to hell alike, and God likes us all so much that he put us in one group and called us all sinners and then washed us in the blood of Jesus and called us all sons. Hallelujah. There's no prejudice, no injustice in God. He's a God of justice. He has a great face. And religion will often put a wrong face on God. The next thing that I've written, you put it on the screen, you will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God. You will only ever trust God to the level that you perceive the goodness of God. And the enemy doesn't want you to trust God. Because when you trust God, he's your rock. When you trust God, he's your shield. When he's, you trust God, he's your rampart. When you trust God, he's your high tower. And the enemy wants to take you down. And the last thing he wants you to do is to be able to trust God. And so he will speak doctrines of demons in the church so that we've got a religious perception of God that we can't trust. God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. You will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God. You will only ever experience the God you perceive. When you read this parable, the master, now remember, a parable is a made-up story. Jesus makes them up. But it is a parallel of a truth in heaven that we need to get the revelation of on earth. It's a principle in heaven that God wants us operating in and out of in our lives. And so the master turns to this servant who had a, 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 an unjust, a harsh, a wicked perception of the master, and he says, I will judge you by the mere method you have judged me. The words you have used will condemn you, and what has been given to you will be taken away. I'm harsh, I'm severe. Unfortunately, you have blocked me out from being the God of goodness and grace and mercy, and you've allowed the enemy to bring a counterfeit manifestation. You see, you will receive the God you perceive. Not because you and I will change the image of God, but when we believe the devil's lie about God, we will get the devil's version of God. Oh, come on! That was good. It's not even in my notes. When we believe the devil's perception of God, we will receive the devil's version of God. Our wrong judgments, our wrong perceptions of God will stop the goodness of God from breaking through the lies we've come into agreement with. The problem with perception is that if you don't measure it up with reality, it'll become your conviction. And when it becomes your conviction, it'll be your deception. And when it becomes your deception, it will eventually be your destruction. You will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God. You will only ever experience the God you perceive. The servant who judged his master as being harsh, rigid, and inflexible was judged by his perception of God. As you judge, the Bible says, so shall you be judged. Guess what? God is good, God is good, God is good. God is gracious, God is gracious, God is gracious. I have learned to be kind and gracious and patient with others because that's what I want coming back to me. Thank you. The servant who judged his master as being harsh, rigid, and inflexible was judged by his perception of God. His perception of God determined his rejection from God. Did you hear that? The devil wants you to believe God doesn't love you. Yeah, you screwed up. So have I. 
Have you told him you're sorry? Have you repented? Is there genuine remorse? Have you taken action to turn? Have you sought help? Let me tell you, we mess up, but God fixes up. Hello? God, God doesn't want a relationship with you where he's always telling you what you've done wrong. He knows there aren't enough cheerleaders in your life telling you that you can do it. He knows there aren't enough kind-hearted, warm-spirited people telling you, come on, I believe in you. And the halls of hell are, are decked with folly, not holly. They're decked with folly and they will tell you stupid things that you're no good and God doesn't care about you and God's not going to answer your prayers because you're the scum of the scum. Let me tell you what God does with the scum of the scum. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to pay their price so that he can make us a son in heaven. Come on, someone give the Lord a, a praise offering. The God you perceive is the God you will receive from. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, this is what it says. Paul writes, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now understand, we have people here with all very different levels of introduction, knowledge to Scripture. And so without trying to preach about this very famous dude named Abraham and go, going into a whole nother sermon uh, content, let me... Suffice it to say, Abraham was a man from the Old Testament who lived in a polytheistic world, and he got the revelation of a monotheistic God. But he didn't just get the revelation that God is one. He got the revelation that God is good. Abraham is a hero in the Bible. But let me tell you what heroes look like in God's economy. They start out as broken people with a lot of hang-ups and a lot of messes. You see, what I love about that is that every one of us fit into God's potential of being a hero no matter how many messes there are in our lives. Turn to someone and say, I am glad God included me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And so Abraham is celebrated as a hero, but he didn't always live a hero's life. When you study the life of Abraham, you will see that he actually did some really boneheaded things. In fact, he did some things that were really downright detestable. He made, he proved that he was the product of brokenness and that there were some serious issues in his life that needed to be adjusted. But Abraham did one thing right. And you're going to be glad that I'm going to say what I'm going to say because there's hope for every one of us. He did one thing right. In fact, he did one thing phenomenal. He believed God and trusted in the character of God. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God. He had an impossible situation. The laws of nature were against him. The laws of nature were against his wife. Everything in the natural looked like God's not blessing you. You're cursed. You're condemned. How can you believe God loves you? His wife is barren. He's barren. Then now he's, in his, uh, he's 100 years old. His wife is 90. And they're still hanging on to the fact that he heard God whisper, I'm going to give you a son. And out of your loins and Sarah's loins will come a powerful nation. And through your seed, the nations of the world will all be blessed. Here's Abraham. He did not have a history of forefathers who taught him about this God. He's the God of Abraham. Because Abraham came into revelation and came into relationship with God. 
And even though there was brokenness in him and he made some stupid mistakes, he believed God like few people could. And so here he is. His wife is barren and he's believing for the seed. And now they're both at the point of age where neither one of them could have a child. And he still hangs on to God is so good, he cannot tell me a lie. God is so good. He is so perfectly moral, he cannot give me an exaggeration just to make me feel good. God doesn't try to tell me a lie to make me feel good for the moment so I'll be devastated for the future. And so Abraham reasoned with himself that if God said it, no matter how impossible it is, God's going to do it. And that became his perception. And his perception became his revelation. Hello? You have the wrong image of God. Your perception will become your deception, and your deception will become your depression and your destruction. But his perception of God was right. It became his revelation. And in the end, it became his miracle. Are you hearing me, church? I want you to know the God of the miraculous, the God of the good, the God who so loved the world that he clothed himself in flesh and became one of us and said, curse me, because anyone who believes in me, I'm going to set him free. Amen. And so Abraham was not brilliant of his own character, but he perceived God, he judged God correctly, and the Bible says it was credited to his account righteousness. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, so Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's said for the second time. James, the brother of Jesus, chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Because Abraham saw God as a friend, he was judged by his perception of God and he received a friend. Wow. The guy in the parable with the one talent that dug a hole, the master said, I will judge you by your own perception. You have judged me. This is what your determination is of me. Then you believe the counterfeit about me, and you have opened yourself up to the counterfeit. Abraham believed God even though there were shortcomings in his life. And he was credited with righteousness because he rightly judged and discerned God's character and he became God's friend. Can I tell you right now? God doesn't just want you as a friend. Irrespective of your father, son, father, daughter relationship, irrespective of earthly and natural parentage, God is a perfect dad. Even the black and white reruns of Father Knows Best or My Three Sons could never conjure up the perfection of fatherhood like God has. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch Nickelodeon for a couple of weeks and you'll see the shows Father Knows Best and My Three Sons. Would you put the next screen up as I close? I wrote, faith isn't a formula. Faith is about a relationship with God. Faith is making the right judgment call about God's character. We try to preach faith as a formula. Faith, faith, faith. No, get the right perception of God, and it's not an issue to have faith. It's not an issue. When you understand who God is, it all flows. It's natural when I understand God is good and he loves me. And even though I mess up, I screw up, he's actually wanting to get inside of me and move me the right way and get me into agreement. Yeah, there are things I need to change. 
But in the meantime, he loves me as much as he did when he died on the cross. Hello? Turn to somebody and say, he's preaching to you. Yeah. Hebrews 11, 11. Abraham had a wife. Her name was Sarah. I love this. We talk a lot about Abraham. I love this scripture about Sarah. Because Sarah is just like us. When God first gave the promise, she laughed in her tent. God sent two angels. They came to Abraham. They're talking to Abraham outside the tent. Sarah's in the tent. And the two angels say, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs. And God heard it. And the two angels say to Abraham, why did your wife laugh? And, they, and Sarah answers from the tent, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. See, her perception of God was that he exaggerates. There's no way in the world he'll do that for me. In fact, her perception of God was such that he belie she believed God would do it for her handmaiden, but not for her. And many times as Christians, we are still wounded in our emotions we are still wounded in our soul from trauma and relationships that have gone wrong that we will believe that God will be kind to someone else, but he won't do the same kindness to us. And that perception of God will rob you from the real God and visit you with the counterfeit God. Hello? You see, if we don't take that lie and line it up with the Word of God and bring ourselves to the right perception, our wrong perception will take us to the deception, to the demon who spoke the deception, and that's the God who will visit us. Amen. Colleen, let me hear you say it. This is good stuff, Pastor. We need to hear this stuff. What am I preaching, folks? I'm preaching reality. We're all broken. We all get hurt. We all have stuff going on in our head, and we overlay it onto the image of God. I want to take that stuff off of you so that you could see the goodness of God so that you will experience the great God. Amen. Come on, give him a clap. Offering. Praise God. And this is what it says about Sarah. Though she laughed in her tent, in Hebrews 11 and 11, by faith Sarah herself received strength. In the Greek it says dunamis, miraculous power, to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, here it comes, because she judged him faithful who promised. She made a judgment call about She changed her perception from the tent. And in the journey, she worked on her perception and her mindset. And she allowed her heart, her perception, and her judgment to change. And through her journey, supernaturally, inwardly, she changed. And she received the miraculous ability to conceive seed. You see, a lot of our transformation comes or is hindered by the judgment we make about God. And the sooner we choose to let go of our hurts and our disappointments, and the sooner we come into agreement, Izzy, if you would come and start to play, because I'm closing, is Izzy here? All right, thank you. The sooner we change our perception, the sooner God starts to bring everything internally into divine order and the blessing of God will flow in our lives. Am I preaching that, okay, I can continue to be a scoundrel, a rat bag, and just deliberately do things wrong because it suits me, and God will just always be good to me? Now, let me put that to rest. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. But it's not keeping his commands that will get you into a relationship with him. He loves you. He loves me. And the God you believe in is even better than the God you believe in. I find that as I've walked with Jesus, my whole 
life that he's still pulling layers of layers of religion off of me and out of me and helping me to see that he's better than I ever could have imagined. Would you stand with me, church? I'm going to ask everyone here to close your eyes for a moment because I want to speak to you. Maybe you've had a lot of encounter with religion. I want you to understand something. This is not the God of religion. This is the God of relationships. And if you have never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, He is looking for the open door. He is looking for the opportunity. And so while we are here this morning about to go our separate ways, don't walk out of this house without a change of perception because a change of perception will give you a reception from God like only heaven can bring. It'll bring change inside of you. It'll bring change outside of you. It'll bring change all around you. I grew up in the church. I had a very religious perspective of God. And at a rebellious point in my life, when I was pretty miserable, I went to a special church meeting, and I was waiting for God to tell everyone through the evangelist what a terrible sinner I was. I heard the audible voice of God. And he said to me, Rob, I don't have to tell you all the things you've done wrong, you already know them. What I do want to tell you is how much I love you. I had an encounter with God, and that one encounter has drastically affected everything in my life. My image of Him has come into alignment with God's image in the Bible. And because of that, I have seen breakthrough after breakthrough in me and in my world. Amen. Religion can't save you. It can mess you up. It can. It will. But a relationship with Jesus goes beyond being Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Anglican, Pentecostal. Relationship with Jesus is just being real and being honest and saying, Jesus, I have sinned. I need you. I want you. I'm welcoming you. Jesus, come into my life. I want this God working in me. If the Spirit of God is talking to you and you fit that category somehow, if something is stirring inside of you while everyone's head is bowed and their eyes are closed, come on with me, raise your hand and say, I want to ask Jesus in my life. I see that hand up the back. Thank you. God bless you. Who else wants to raise your hand and say yes to Jesus? Yes to Jesus. He loves you, cares about you. He wants to be the God of your breakthrough. He wants to be the God of your miracle. He wants to be the God who brings good news. He wants to be the God who encourages you and lifts you up, not the God who steps on your face. You're not going to get it right all the time. And I am so glad that when I don't get it right, His face doesn't change. He's still a good God. And He works with me until I become a good guy. Hello? Amen. One last call. If you haven't raised your hand and you were wanting to, come on, just put your hand up if you haven't done that yet. Those of you that have raised your hand, thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. That's great. I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. And if you raise your hand, then especially, listen, God doesn't read lips. He reads hearts. So in this crowd of people, you raised your hand. Everyone else is going to repeat after me, but he's going to hear you. Because something in your heart clicked and you said, yes, I want him. I want to tell you, if there's one thing that God can't resist, is an open door to somebody's life.
He doesn't care where you've been or what you've been. He will always accept that invitation. So everyone, repeat this prayer after me. And those of you that raise your hand especially, I'd love to talk to you, see you. I'd love for you, if you've never done a new Christians course, we, uh, we are launching these new courses again in January, January the 8th, straight after church, free food. You get a free Bible cover, free Bible, notebook, pen, everything, all in here to help you start your walk with Jesus. But everyone, repeat after me right now. Dear God, I believe you love me. I believe you care. Jesus Christ, you died just for me. You paid the price that I should have paid. And Jesus, I welcome you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Yes, I've messed up. You knew that. And you died for me. I accept you. I believe in you. I perceive you are a good God. And on that foundation, I ask you to take control of my life from this day forward. Live in me, live with me, and live through me. Now, Father, I thank you. I'm part of the family. I receive Jesus, and you receive me. Amen. Amen. And to the church, let me speak to your faith. Expect God to do good things. He's the God of awesome things. He's the God of great blessing. He's the God of tremendous love. And where others have left you and others have rejected you, where others have set a standard in front of you that was so high that you never felt you could ever measure up, this is the God who loves us and wants relationship with us. Church, believe in your miracle. Believe in the promises of God. Believe that He's the God who wants to personally break through and on every level, be your Savior, be your Deliverer, be your Healer, be your God. Amen. Come on. If you love Him and you agree with the perception of God presented today, why don't you give Him a praise offering? Amen. 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 Turn around. Give someone a hug. God bless you. We'll see you next Saturday night, Christmas Eve. And may the Spirit of God be with you all day. In Jesus' name.